Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Father, I pray that you would help my five-year-old to stop squirming during devotions. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help my daughter come back to church. (sighs) Heavenly Father, I'm trying to talk to my kids about you, but I feel like they're not listening. Well, if you're a Christian parent, uh, perhaps your greatest desire is to help your kids have a strong faith in Jesus. And today on Focus on the Family, we'll offer some practical ways you can build your children's faith in everyday situations. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Uh, John, when my first son Trent was born, I was so enthralled by him that I'd stay awake all night uh, just holding him and praying for him. It's that special moment that I know many parents have in that journey. And with that hope that you heard in those parents a moment ago, uh, you're praying that your son or daughter will enjoy a deep, close relationship with Christ for their entire life. And then teenagehood comes along. (laughs) But if you're like Gene and me, uh, we sometimes wonder, have we modeled a strong enough faith? Will our kids stay close to the Lord? Mm -hmm. Because we've demonstrated how to do that. But as we learn in 2 Timothy 1.7, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. Here at Focus on the Family, we want to encourage you and remind you that God is enough. He has given you a sound mind and the skills you need to raise your kids in Christ. And we know from research that only 11% of those who abandon their childhood faith say they came from a home where a vibrant faith was taught and practiced. So that's good. It is good news. And if you're like me, and maybe you too, John, you want to hear that and think, what are those things I can do to display that vibrant faith to my kids? Uh, Our guest today has some amazing insight and practical ideas for doing just that. That's right. And Natasha Crane is a national speaker and author with degrees from both UCLA and Biola. Uh, She and her husband have three children and live in Southern California. And uh, Natasha is a blogger. And she's written a book called Talking With Your Kids About God, 30 Conversations Every Christian Parent Must Have, and you'll find your copy at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Here now is how we started our conversation with Natasha Crane. This is a wonderful resource, uh, talking with your kids about God, uh, 30 Conversations. It's a, it's a great resource, and I wish I had this with, when my kids were younger. You're aiming at the younger spectrum of childhood, right? Uh, well, the book is written directly to parents, and so it's meant to equip the parents directly so that they have this knowledge. And then every chapter has a conversation guide with it that will help you engage with younger kids, even older kids, so that there are different levels of questions. So really, it can help parents with kids of any age. Yeah, that's good. I, in fact, I talked to Trent this morning, and I said, hey, here's a question in the uh, preparation of the program, I want to ask you, what is it? And I said, well, God, good and evil. Um, You know, if God is good, why does he allow evil to exist? And he said, well, that's easy. So you could choose who to follow. (laughs) I went, wow, okay, that's sunk in. And uh, that's the kind of uh, good questions that you're proposing here in your book. Let's start with your blog, though. Uh, I understand it was meant to be kind of a lighthearted parenting blog, and uh, that quickly changed. What happened? Yeah, so in 2011, I had three kids who were three and under at the time, and at that age range... Oh, three kids, three and under. How'd you do that? (laughs) 
Well, <laughs> well I, I don't I know. Don't mean, somehow, how do you do that? I mean, you know, you have twins. Is I that have right? twins, right? Yes, I have twins, and then a younger one. And you know, <laughs> at that age, you're doing a lot of stuff with diapers and potty and that kind of thing. And it, anyone who has kids that age understands it can become a little bit redundant and isolating too. It's hard to get out of the house and have fellowship with others. And so, mm-hmm. everyone was starting blogs in 2011, and I thought, you know what, this is a good way that I can kind of fellowship with other people, meet other people online at least, and have those conversations. So I started a blog just to write about how we were teaching our young kids at that time to know about Jesus and to love Jesus. And I just started blogging. And it turned out great. I started having people who were actually reading the blog. I was meeting people just like I hoped. But what I didn't realize is that when you blog, people share your blog posts online, which is a good thing. But that will bring people who are also non-believers to your site. And so what happened was I started getting a, a, just a large stream of comments from skeptics of Christianity who were coming to the site, and they were commenting on everything that I would say. And I have to emphasize, I was not writing anything provocative. I wasn't trying to pick debates with atheists. I wouldn't have even been able to if I wanted to at the time. I was just writing about Christianity, and they would leave comments like, there's no evidence for the existence of God, and science has disproved God, and there's no evidence that Jesus existed as a person in history, and the Bible's filled with errors and contradictions. The list goes on. On all of these objections. And I was a lifelong Christian. I grew up in a Christian home, spent hundreds of hours in church, had never turned away from my faith. So I was a Christian through and through, but I did not know how to answer those questions. Mm. And it bothered me a lot because I realized that my kids were growing up in such a different world than the one in which I grew up. And I wasn't prepared. You know, for the parent that might have a busy life, I mean, you had twins and a third child, all by the time your twins were three, it sounds like. So you were busy. Yes. You could easily, as a parent, say to yourself, well, you know, for this season, because I'm so busy and my husband's so busy building a business or doing whatever he might be doing, it, let's leave this to the church. I mean, they'll go to church on mm-hmm. Sunday. They'll go to, uh, maybe they'll go to Sunday school and, you know, we'll make sure we have sing-along songs that talk about Jesus and all those things. Is that enough? For this, and I guess what I'm asking you is speak to the mom particularly who's kind of in that place where it is so busy. I don't know that I can capture that right now. And I really, I'm going to take this time and let church do it. Yeah, it's, it's very tempting. And for a lot of us, we grew up in homes maybe that were Christian homes, but our parents didn't necessarily do a lot of discipleship at home, but they took us to church and we think, well, that worked for me. I'm, I'm a Christian today, but we have to understand that the world is totally different than when we grew up. So I find that parents who had a conversion experience when they were an adult, they get this. They understand because they've been there. They know the other side of it. It's the Christians who grew up in a Christian home who feel like, well, I was okay, and I didn't have to learn all this stuff, all these apologetics, who need to understand the world is far more challenging today. And so your kids will encounter these questions. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. And it's not just about living up to the church. First and foremost, the Bible calls us as parents to be the primary spiritual influence in our kids' lives. So whether you want to leave it to the church or not, that the Bible wants us as parents to be in that role. But beyond that, even if you said, well, I understand that, but I'm just overwhelmed and I'm just going to put this in the church's hands, it's important to understand that churches have not yet, by and large, caught up with this either. A lot of churches aren't teaching apologetics. And one example of that is that, you know, this research that shows how, why kids are walking away, over and over again, they show that some of the top questions are science-related. 
the under, understanding how science and Christianity can be complementary and that they don't conflict as the secular narrative goes. So there's so much of that happening, yet when they survey youth pastors to see the kinds of subjects that they're addressing in church, they find that only 1% of youth pastors have addressed an issue about science in the last year. So there's Right, a, and it should be 80%. Exactly, yeah. there, or 100%, 100%, right? So there's this big disconnect between still where the church is catching up. We as parents are catching up, and the church is catching up, so we all kind of have to work together. But first and foremost, it's our role as parents. And, and like I said, if your kid had any other struggle, yeah. you would assume you had to match the preparation for that. We need to do the same with their spiritual lives. And I like that underlying theme. You know, if they had a medical issue, you would do all the research you needed to make sure the right decisions were being right. made. That is probably the most profound thing you've said so far. When you um, look at the culture today, so often we as Christian parents want to insulate our kids. You know, that's the strategy. So there's so much technology coming at them and so much exposure to things that we don't want them to see. It's easy to move in that direction. But in your book, Talking With Your Kids About God, you describe a story uh, where you were comfortable, it sounded like, exposing your kids to non-Christian themes. And in fact, I think it was Jehovah Witnesses that came to the door. And and how did you handle that with your children standing there listening to the conversation? Yeah, I think that's the overall theme of the book, really, is that we should be exposing our kids to all these ideas. So these are not just 30 questions about God in general, but 30 questions that our kids really need to understand given the secular world that they're growing up in. And I know a lot of parents fear exposing their kids to these things, but they are going to hear them today. And I can't emphasize that enough. They're going to hear them. If they have any access to the internet, they're going to see them repeatedly. They're going to see these things. So we can demonstrate this in all kinds of ways, but to the story that you just mentioned, about Jehovah's Witnesses coming to the door. I was just making dinner one night, and I heard the door knock. And I went down there, and my son was playing near the door, and he was probably about six at the time. And I opened the door, and uh, they introduced themselves. as a mom and a girl who was about my son's age. And she said, can my daughter show you this movie about God? It really just shows the design of a butterfly and how that points to God's existence. And it was a perfect opportunity. I knew my son was kind of listening nearby. And I said, oh, that's great. I, I totally believe the same thing. I agree with you that the design in nature points to the existence of God, I'm a Christian. And she said, oh, we're Christians too. I'm so glad to meet you because everyone I talk to you is an atheist when I go door to door. And, and I said, you know, that I understand what you're doing and I really appreciate that. But I knew my son was listening. I wanted him to understand how we can approach these things. I said, I don't have a lot of time right now because I'm in the middle of making dinner. But I just want to say that we still do have differences between us because based on your translation of the Bible that Jehovah's Witnesses use, that Jesus is not God. Jesus is not part of the Trinity. And that is very different than what I would believe based on the translation that that we use. And so I said, part of what I do as a parent to help my kids is expose them to other viewpoints in the world to explain why there's good reason to believe that my faith is true. And I would just encourage you to do the same with your daughter to look into why is it that so many Bible scholars reject that translation of the Interesting. Bible. Interesting. Yeah, really good. And she, she looked at me and she kind of nodded. And I learned later that Jehovah's Witnesses are not allowed to accept any kind of outside literature or look into those opposing viewpoints. So even presenting that is something that was challenging to her. But 
when I closed the door, my son looked at me, and even at that age, he said, okay, so the reason that they believe differently is because they have a different translation of the Bible. He picked that up. Yeah, that's and so I, was, I was really I was really interested in that because I said, yeah, you know, that's exactly right. There are all kinds of reasons why people believe differently. In some cases, people believe there is no God who has revealed anything. That would be an atheist. In other cases, that people believe there is a God, and we have that in common, but that doesn't mean we're, we believe the same thing, and yeah. there are those crucial differences. So we can help our kids a lot. By and Natasha, it does get back to this idea of fear. And we've got to, with that opening scripture I mentioned in 2 Timothy, is the, the Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So it's almost like an inoculation process. You want your children to be exposed to things so they can manage them and understand them and process them and explain them in a scriptural and truthful way. And I, I think that's great. Do some parents struggle with that? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I wrote a blog post once, and it was called, uh, Don't Be Afraid to Be the Cause of Your Kids' Questions or Doubts. Hmm. And I think that's so important. I, I told my kids when they were probably five, I said, I don't want you to ever grow up and think that you're a Christian because mommy and daddy were Christians. Hmm. Don't believe in Jesus because I do. And I said, I want you to understand that I'm so convicted of the truth of Christianity because God has given us so much evidence that this is what's true, that my job is to help you learn how to pursue that truth yourself. Right. And so as you get older, we'll be talking about that and we will discuss it and I will show you how to do it. But I think that is so important for kids to understand because then when they do have questions, they do have doubts, then they come to you and they know it's okay. It's okay. When mommy and it's daddy a safe are, place. Yeah, yeah, they're so convinced of the truth of Christianity that they don't fear. It's like what you're saying. There's no fear in this house because if Christianity is true, there is nothing to fear. Right. In fact, you mention uh, your own personal doubts, that that's something that you've, you know, being raised as a Christian, as you described, from time to time, you ask questions. And I think that's really healthy. But uh, how is it healthy and how is it unhealthy at times? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think that sometimes Christians have this view that it's a sin or it's something really horrible if you have any kind of doubts. And that shuts a lot of kids down, especially when the culture is so challenging today. And so they feel that if they are having doubts because of that, that they kind of have to be quiet about it. And we, we don't want them to have that impression from us. Doubt can actually be a really healthy thing if it leads you to investigation. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that reminds me of this young man that I talked to uh, on a a trip I was on recently, and his parents had raised him talking about apologetics a lot. And I asked him, so how did that end up helping you? Because I'm always trying to convince parents that they need to do what your parents did. So tell me, how did that end up helping you when you encounter challenges? And he thought for a minute, and then he said, it didn't cause me to doubt, it caused me to investigate. Right. And I thought that was so just insightful. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. It's time to level up. Give your kids a safe, faith-focused, and biblically-based community, and so much more. Join the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Club members get on-demand access to the exciting Adventures in Odyssey series, including more than 900 episodes. With faith-building activities, parental controls, and a safe online community, the Adventures in Odyssey Club could be your best adventure yet. Learn more and start your free trial at adventuresinodyssey.com radio. Hey, it's Jim Daly here. Just so you know, it's time, time for a challenge, time to not only be a Christian, but live your faith. Bring Your Bible to School Day is the next Live It Challenge on October 5th. Nationwide, kids will team up to share the gospel at their schools. To learn more or register your children for the first time, visit bringyourbible.com. 
His word gives us confidence. So let's live it up. Bringyourbible.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Natasha, let's start with uh, teaching our kids the evidence for God's existence. Let's get into some practical application now. We kind of talked about the theory of it. You say many Christians rely on the wrong kind of evidence. Um, Explain what you mean. Well, I wouldn't say necessarily it's the wrong kind of evidence, but I think that if you ask a lot of Christians, you know, how do you know Christianity is true? 95% 95% of the time, a Christian will give you their testimony. And so they'll get, they'll tell you about their experience. And that's extremely important. So it's not that it's wrong to share your testimony. But we have to understand we cannot export our own experience to anyone else. So if It's you're, evidence of. It's Yes, it's evidence of. So if your kids come to you and they ask, how do you know Christianity is true? And you tell them about something that happened to you that they haven't experienced, yet they're getting all of these kinds of intellectual challenges from the world, then they're kind of between a rock and a hard place there. And it, where do you go? And I think this next question kind of lends itself to that, and I'm thinking of this in the context of teenagers, and it is this. One common argument against God is that he he doesn't make his existence undeniable. I like the way that's stated. Uh, That's actually a very good question. Uh, If he's perfectly loving, why is he still such a mystery? Why doesn't he just declare it so there's no question? Mm -hmm. Okay, we all know God is there. Why that distinction that you must trust him by faith? Right. That, and there, there are a lot of pieces that kind of go yeah. into answering that, obviously. Question. It's a huge That's question. That's an adult question, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> that is an adult question. It absolutely is. And in fact, I've been asked a lot of times, what makes me doubt or what challenges me? And the hiddenness of God, I think, is is a primary issue for a lot of people. Um, so it's a good one. I think that the first part of that answer comes from having our kids understand the evidence for God's existence first. A lot of times when people ask that question, they're asking it assuming that there is no evidence, mm-hmm. that we just have to blindly believe. And that is just so detrimental to kids' faith today if they believe that faith is a blind leap in the dark, that there's actually no evidence. We just have to close our eyes and say, I hope, I hope it's true. And so we don't want kids to have that blind faith. So if they have the evidence for God's existence to start with, then we can begin to answer that question. Why isn't there more evidence? And so when we get to that question, and so many atheists say, you know, if God just wrote in the sky, you know, here I am, or showed up in my living room, you know, what would that be? And a good way to explain this to kids, I think, is that if you imagine a detective, kids love detectives, right? You see a detective, he goes in, he evaluates the evidence, he looks at all the pieces that are there and comes to the best explanation for that. We would laugh if a bumbling detective came out of the room and said, well, I don't like what's there, so I want these five things instead to tell me about who did this. You know, I wish that he had left a note with his name and his phone number. I wish, I wish, I wish, right? It doesn't necessarily make logical sense to come up with a wish list of the evidence that we want to have. We have to look at what we do have. And so when we point our kids to that evidence, where did the universe come from? Where did life come from? Looking at the complexity of life and of how how our universe is structured just right to support life, and where did our moral understanding come from? All these things I talk about in the book that are these pieces of evidence. When we look at that, then we can say, okay, this is the evidence. What's the best explanation for it? Mm -hmm. And if God were to show up in everyone's living room, kind of the bottom line answer to that original question, he would be taking away our free will to choose to love him freely. And so philosophers have grappled with this for hundreds, thousands of years probably, and that's something that ultimately we can't say 
say exactly why. We can't, we don't have the mind of God, but we can come to these intellectually satisfying answers of saying, I don't have every possible answer, but I can say that God wants us to freely love him. Yeah. And I, you, you know what I appreciated that you did the ant farm experiment, I think, that illustrated this. And this is a great way to teach it to four, five, six, eight-year-olds. Mm-hmm. What happened with that? Well, we didn't intend for it to be an experiment, but it, it, it ended up <laughs> oh, being ant one. farms are always, always an experiment. All of us who have had ant farms are going to identify. <laughs> well, yeah, so I was, fu- just for the record, I was fundamentally opposed to ant farms. So this is husband's idea. This is husband's idea, yes. I, I did not understand why we needed lots of these little creatures I normally want out of the house, in the house, <laughs> right. even in a contained environment. But he convinced me that this would be very educational for the kids, and they could burrow little holes and all these things. So we got the ant farm, and for uh, a few days, it was very interesting. I thought, okay, maybe he's right. Maybe this isn't so bad. But then we wake up one morning and the ants are almost all dead. And you can't separate out, as anyone who's had an ant farm knows, you can't separate out the live ants and the dead ants. So now we have a semi-alive creation in the corner of our room. And you can't do anything about it. By the next day, all the ants had died. And so I have to take the whole thing out and throw it away. And that was the end of that. So uh, the moral of the story is don't get an ant farm, right? I, I'm here. <laughs> kind, kind of. <laughs> but, but we use this as an opportunity to explain to the kids, look, like the, these ants, they needed something really specific to survive. And what came with the ant farm was this blue gel stuff that was in there. And I remember asking my husband, what do we feed them? What, do, what kind of water? And he said, no, no, no. The blue gel gives them all that they need. And according to the instructions, that was correct. But in order to have living things that exist and flourish in our world, we have to have certain things. We have to have liquid water, for example. And so our living environment, both the universe itself and our planet Earth, have to be just right to allow for us to exist. And we kind of intuitively know we don't exist on other planets. You know, we have not seen anything that looks like us on any planets, but we don't necessarily think of how much is required for planet Earth to support us. Mm. And so just the ant farm, these everyday situations where you can show your kids, the ants need something specific just like we do. And there are very specific things that are needed in order for us to survive on this planet. And what's so good about that is they start making that connection then. Right. And, and And it's a young age, they can start to connect those dots. Yeah, And what a beautiful illustration. This might be the most critical question of all. And of course, we're going to encourage you to get Natasha's book because I think every parent, I don't care how old your kids are, both for yourself as well as for your children, need to answer these 30 questions and be proficient at thinking them through. But here's the one. How can we help our children understand how to have a relationship with a God they can't see and in most cases can't really audibly hear. It's that intuitive Holy Spirit voice that we hear in our hearts and our souls. How do we do that? How do we help them have that relationship? I think that's a great question to ask because a lot of times parents come at it from assuming that because we've become used to having a relationship with a God that we don't physically see and hear that our kids will know how to do that. But it's a really foreign thing if, if you think about it. When, when you put yourself in your kids' shoes, your young kids' shoes, and you're telling them that God exists and God loves them and, hey, you need to love him too and here start having this relationship, it's very hard to explain that. And so I think, number one, it's important for us to just acknowledge to our kids, hey, this is different. This is something different than relating to your friends at school. You can't see God. You can't hear him. But just like 
like with a friend at school, if you're going to get to know someone and if you want to love that person, you have to get to know them. And we hear from God through his word. And so that's where first the Bible study comes from and, and helping our kids understand the importance of studying the Bible together. And we respond to God by our prayer and through our serving. And so those are, and I could kind of elaborate on all those things, but that's kind of the big picture of how I approach this with my kids is to think of it. If you're having that relationship with someone you know at school, it's kind of the same thing that you're hearing from them and you're responding to them. In in the context of God, we hear from God in his word and through the Holy Spirit, and then we return by prayer and by serving others. Natasha, we're right near the end, and I'm thinking of the parent who uh, maybe they're through the 10, 11, 12-year-old stage, and they are in the teen years now. And there, there's a lot more independence in those years. The teenagers are trying to express themselves and find out who they are and becoming more independent from the parental control that's been rightfully kind of there in the earlier years of development. How does that parent who's been desperate to ensure there's a relationship there with God? Because they know this is eternity. What we're talking about here is the most serious business of any human soul. Do you know God or do you not know God? But to that desperate parent who may be thinking, I haven't been able to do this. It hasn't caught. Something's wrong. And they lay up awake in the middle of the night worrying about their 15-year-old who may be listening to things, doing things that's inconsistent with the faith. What suggestion do you have for them in that desperation? How do we not become fearful as we open the program with that great scripture from Second Timothy? Where do they get the assurance to say, okay, God, do you have this? Yeah, I think that first and foremost, praying. We we have to continue praying and asking God for guidance in that. So we can't lose our sight of our relation, our own relationship with God in that. I think that the more that I talk with parents who have teenagers who are in that situation, the more I realize that every parent realizes what they did wrong was panic when their kids first started expressing doubts. Right. It shut down the communication line so that they don't have the relationship that they could have in terms of those questions. So their kids no longer want to talk. And that's, they're fearful to talk to you about it. They're fearful because they're afraid that their questions are going to upset you. And I've always told those parents, go back to your kids and just acknowledge, you know, this is what I, I responded poorly. You know, obviously, and you can say, as a Christian, I believe this is true and that there are eternal implications for what you believe. So please understand from my perspective that this is important to me, but I want to understand where you're coming from. I want to hear your questions. I want to understand some valuable insight on Focus on the Family from Natasha Crane about continuing to have those faith conversations with your children and keeping the doors to the relationship open. I want to turn to our listeners. That passion you've heard in Natasha's voice about raising children to love Jesus, it's because she knows deep in her heart that a life with Jesus is the most abundant and purposeful life there is. We all believe that as Christians. And that love that we feel for our children, that is what is motivating her. But our love for our kids doesn't even compare to the love God has for us. Um, If you haven't accepted Jesus and you'd like to learn more about what that means, we're here for you. We are. And over the years, Jim, it's been a privilege for us to introduce people to the Christian life and tell them more both personally and through a little booklet called Coming Home, An Invitation to Join God's Family. And we've got an ebook of that online at our website. Uh, So uh, look for that at Focus on the family.com slash broadcast, or call us at 800, the letter A in the word family, if we can help you understand the Christian life better. 
And again, the resource we have for you today is Natasha's book, Talking With Your Kids About God, 30 Conversations Every Christian Parent Must Have. It's a book full of deep faith questions that all of us, even adults and believers in Christ, need to grapple with. So contact us, and I want to get this book into your hands. It's yours for a donation of any amount, or if you can't afford it, uh, call us anyway. We'll trust that others will cover the expense of that. Donate and uh, get your copy of the book at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or when you call 800-A-FAMILY. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Lisa Anderson. If I've learned one thing hosting The Boundless Show, it's that young adults need community. The Boundless Show covers everything they care about. Faith, dating, job stuff, basically how to live in this crazy world. Plus, it can be a great way for parents and grandparents to understand what's really going on. Find The Boundless Show wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and find a way to share it with your young adult, but still make it sound like their idea. Good luck. And it's important to put boundaries in in your dating and things like that, or in any relationship for that matter, because not only are you respecting yourself as a person, but you are saying you respect God, you respect his biblical standards, you respect the, the guidelines that he put in life for you to follow. And by that, you you find the person who God wants you to really be with. You don't settle with less than, than God's best. That's Safa Gray describing how God has a better plan for dating and marriage than many couples can realize. And we'll explore this topic further today on Focus on the Family with your host, Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. John, I think, I mean, our dating days, I think, are long gone. I, I hope mean, so. I date my wife still, and that's <laughs> yeah. fun. But, you know, dating in your early 20s, for example, that's a long time ago for me. But I get to see it through the eyes of my two 20-something boys. And it looks like dating is very different from what we used to experience. Way different. I'm so glad and, we don't have to do that. Yeah. But, you know, I'm talking to the guys, and they're going, yeah, we just kind of date in a group, you know, 10 or 12 of us go out. I'm going, that's not a date. <laughs> that's just going out with friends. No, no, it's like a, a group date. No, that's not a date. But it goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's just very different. And I'm excited today, really, for the most part, for my own boys uh, to get this book into their hands so they could read this. And it's got some great content, Godly Dating 101, Discover the Truth About Relationships in a World That Constantly Lies. That's a great title by the way. And I am looking forward to talking about the godly way to date. And people, I'm telling you, in your 20s, there are so many monumental decisions you're making, right? For the most part, usually in your 20s. Maybe what university you might go to or vocational training you might do. And then the big one, who might I marry Mm -hmm. and then have a lifelong relationship with? Those are big decisions. They are. That's one of the reasons that we have our Boundless Ministry. It's 25 years old now, and uh, we've been helping uh, younger singles uh, prepare for marriage and for a life with a spouse. And it's a wonderful outreach that's been going for 25 years, 15 years of a podcast with Lisa Anderson, Boundless. And uh, we really recommend people check that out. Yeah, we do. Here's the bottom line for us. Uh, we want to 
really inform you as to how God has a plan and purpose for your life. We believe that. I've lived that. I have felt that from him. And uh, as I said, part of it is identifying who you might marry. Now, sometimes we get a little criticism here at Focus on the Family that somehow we make uh, an idol out of marriage and family. That's not our goal. We certainly want to lift it up because we believe God's best is in that. But we realize not everybody's going to get married. But I believe most people will. And it's a good thing. You know, God did say man should not be alone. And he made woman. And uh, I think then he also said the two shall become one flesh. And that's our goal here. And I'm looking forward again to the conversation. Yeah, and at the very opening of the show, we heard from Safa Gray, and she and her husband Tavares are here. And they're authors, speakers, and podcast hosts, and they have a huge following on social media. We're so glad they've joined us today. And uh, Jim, you mentioned the book title that we're covering today. It's called Godly Dating 101, Discover the Truth About Relationships in a World that Constantly Lies. We'll encourage you to stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast for details. Well, welcome to both of you. Glad to have you. Thank you for Thank having you. us on. Yeah, this is exciting. Now, you guys are married. How long have you been married? December makes seven years. Mm-hmm. Seven years. Okay, so you, you're not too far back there when you were doing this whole thing and dating and trying to not figure it all out. Talk to me about the difference. I mean, your moms and dads must have had that experience like John and I had. Uh you know, it was pretty singular, linear. You see somebody you like at church, maybe, and you ask them out for coffee. Never dinner first, John, just okay, FYI. I remember that. <laughs> Something subtle, a little talking to, and then, boy, you go, ah, oh, maybe this is the one. And you start dating a little bit, and enthusiasm grows. Speak to how dating is occurring today. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of dynamics when it comes to dating. It's not as easy as it was back then, from what I've heard. Especially with the pandemic and everything, it kind of has changed things a little bit. A lot of people are doing a lot more online with social media dating, so they kind of get to know each other in that aspect first, and then, you know, they might meet up, and I feel as though it's a little bit more difficult um, because of the um, the society we live in. Yeah. And I think our society pushes a lot of me, 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 um, and not a lot of um, when you date, you, you have to serve someone else. And it's all about me at the end of the day. It's we live in a I this, I that, I yeah. this. Everything is made up of that. And so it, it just becomes um, very difficult because we don't want to let ourselves go and allow ourselves to get to know the other person and to, to understand that it's serving. It's not about um, seeing what we can get out of this relationship necessarily. Right. Relationships are bigger than that. It's about serving the other person and ultimately, uh, ultimately about serving Christ. And I think we've kind of strayed away from that in a sense. Absolutely. Um, and I think, um, and I love social media, but I think, you know, just looking at other people's relationships on there and what that looks like, we have an idea of, okay, yeah. this is what I want. This is what it should look like. We see their highlight reel. It just looks like a beautiful family. Um, and that's what you want. But that's not marriage. It's not just about the pretty picture. That's yeah. We're not getting married so we can... You know, when it comes to dating sites, that's something that's always bugged me a little bit. Because I was ahead of... I, I got married before the dating sites were out mm-hmm. there. But I followed them. And I think it's efficient. I get that. People right. that are busy mm-hmm. professionals. And, you know, how do I get into the dating scene? What can I do? And along comes these sites that say, fill out this profile. And we'll find somebody who won't antagonize you very much. Because you'll be a, a good emotional match. 
I don't know if that's God's plan because I, I think marriage is about you know sanding down the rough edges, learning right. to become selfless, yes. more like Christ. And I, I I don't think again it's really about give me somebody, Lord, who will never irritate me. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's what we do, right? But I don't think that's God's plan. Yes, and that that goes along with what Safa was saying. Um, I believe that I believe I grew up in an old school environment with the church I was in, with the parents I was in, and you heard a lot of, you know, Christians don't really date, you know, they just get married. And it's just like, how does that work? Right. You know, I mean, because my parents got saved way later in life, you know, they weren't as traditional as some people, but I felt like we grew up in an environment where they didn't say too much other than don't sin when you're in these environments. Everybody just did group environments. And just like, that's not a date, you know? So now you're, we're dealing with a generation of people who unfortunately, instead of having biblical advice, they're getting all of their advice from social media. Whereas now instead of, like you're saying, having a relationship that helps you grow, helps you learn forgiveness, helps you learn patience and all these things, we're saying that person is not good enough for me because they didn't reach my level of perfection. And where did this level of perfection come from? You know, from a social media post where somebody told you, okay, well, if they're not serving you, they're not good enough. And it's just like, all right, guys, pause. God didn't say any of this, you know, but we're getting the impression from social media on how to date. We're learning from Hollywood and all these things where... Yeah, they've got a great track record on marriage. You know, being married for... (laughs) A lot of them, you know, been married for a whole 32 minutes, but they're telling you what a real relationship is. And it's like we can't allow Hollywood because that's when we go from relationship to relationship. Divorce rates start skyrocketing. Everyone is in bed with someone who they're not emotionally or spiritually um, in connection with, you know, through covenant, but they make me feel good or they right. look good, you know. So I think our, our expectations of what relationships should look like are just simply unrealistic yeah. at the moment. Tavares, the uh, the proof's in the pudding. So in your dating experience with Safa, you, you wanted to cook her a great Italian oh, meal. Man. I think this is right out of the book. <laughs> and I think that's wonderful, but this went a little sideways. What happened? All right, so... For- <laughs> So for for what it's worth, let me give a background for the people who don't know. I grew up in a Jamaican home. We do not make lasagna in Jamaican <laughs> families, you know. So anytime you ate it at school or wherever, you know, someone else made it. It was just like, oh, cool, you know, kind of like spaghetti. You know, you're not thinking anything of it. So I was like, all right, babe, I'm making dinner. So I buy everything that I thought was required for lasagna. We start cooking. Then now it's time to like, you know, put the stuff in the oven and Safa's looking at me very confused. And she's she's like, Babe, where's the lasagna? And I'm like, I'm the making it. Yeah. Here it is. Like and she was just like, No, where's the lasagna? And I'm getting mad now because I'm like, I tell her I'm gonna make her a meal and she's over here doubting my skills. She doesn't understand that. <laughs> Maybe you know, with some insight. You know, like <laughs> I've I watched many episodes of Chef Ramsey, you know, so I know what I'm doing, you know, and she's She's like, that's not how you make lasagna. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? She was like, you didn't buy the lasagna noodles. And I was just like, lasagna noodles? What, is a la- what are lasagna noodles? I, I had no You're idea. You're making me feel so much better right I now. had no idea there was a such thing as a lasagna noodle, you know? And then when I realized, I was just like, well, we're going to make this work. Watch, you know, start putting it in the oven. And it was just one sloppy mess. And she's, you know, the most patient human on the planet. So she's trying her best not to laugh at me or to get mad. But I know she was looking at me like, this is an absolute joke. You know, so that that's when I realized this is really how relationships go. You know, whereas we think we know what we're doing mm. until we get into it. And you're missing so much. And it's like, 
you can try to force it, make it work, but unfortunately it will not come out the way you intended mm-hmm. um, because you just didn't have the right expectation or you had the right desire, but you didn't come into it with the right tools. Right. Yeah. No, that's really good. Uh, Safa, explain why single adults need to start building now for a future of marriage. I, I think when I interact with some of my son's friends and all that, I think they have a a desire, an idea about building for marriage, but it's not forefront. You know, I got to kind of dig when they're over at the house and talk with them. Hey, yeah, so who you dating and what's going on? But speak to that idea that a single, if their desire is to marry, how they need to prepare, how do they need to get the ingredients to cook the meal of marriage? Right. I think marriage is probably the one of the biggest things in life that we need to prepare for. It's huge. If we prepare for everything else, I mean, the meal, you know, trying to cook a meal, you can't just go and say, I'm going to cook lasagna without the preparation part of it. You have to make sure that you've um, prepared your best to try and make that meal. School. You don't say, I want to be a doctor. And you just get up and go apply for a job at, you know, John Hopkins Hospital. They're not going to hire you. You didn't prepare. You didn't go to school. So much less a relationship, a marital relationship with your spouse. That is so very important. And it's so important to do so because, you know, we all as humans, we come with a lot of baggage. You know, we, we grow up in environments. We are products of our environments. And I'm not saying everybody's environment is bad. But there are certain things you might not want to carry on to. Right. Uh, a marital relationship, especially when you start having kids and things like that. And so if you wait till that moment to decide, marriage is already such a big step and it's a lot of work. Now you have your own baggage that you're bringing in because you didn't prepare. So you're bringing your baggage to this now and trying to prepare to have a godly marriage. It's not going to work because you didn't put the work in the effort to become the person God needs you to be. Um, so that you can have a successful marriage with someone else, because all of this is to glorify him at the end of the day. So just putting in those, you know, that time to, if you realize there are some things you might not want to carry on in your marital relationship, you know you have some bad habits, or maybe you have some trauma from a previous relationship or from, um, you know, your family dynamic with your parents. Put in the work, you know, go go to the counseling or be intentional about um, overcoming whatever it is that you need to become a successful spouse and be that person that God wants you to be. Well, you know, the interesting part of that is having the ability to assess what is not working in my life. Where are those things I need to talk about, think about, change? It usually starts with selfishness. Mm -hmm. That's true. (laughs) And if you don't see it when you get married, you'll see it. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Hey, Jim Daly here. If you like the Focus on the Family broadcast and haven't grown tired of this voice just yet, you'll love my Refocus podcast. On Refocus, I take a deeper dive with a respected thinker on different aspects of culture. I ask those hard questions that maybe they don't get that often, and I don't shy away from challenging topics to help you share God's grace, truth, and love with others. So listen to Refocus with Jim Daly on your favorite streaming app today. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Yeah, we're talking today on Focus on the Family with Tavares and Safa Gray, and they have a really great resource, Godly Dating 101. Discover the truth about relationships in a world that constantly lies. Order a copy of the book when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast.
You also mention a term in the book called uh, something like cutoff game. What's the yeah. cutoff game? <laughs> well, I like these uh, sports analogies, uh, by no, the no, way, no, 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 Not sports, not sports. But a lot of times people are saying, um, well, if you're not feeding me, you know, or you're not doing what I need you to do in my life, then they'll cut you off. Whereas mm. you upset me, you frustrate me. Well, I don't like how the, the connection is going right now, so I'll just remove you from my life. Um, and while it's necessary that God wants you to cut certain relationships, I think it's unhealthy when we say, I'm going to just cut off someone because you're not doing what I want you to do in my life. Mm. Whereas you've made yourself God. You, you don't realize it, but you're the idol who needs to be served. Um, and it's, it's not really healthy for a relationship to tell someone, um, well, if it's not working for me, I'm going to cut it off because honestly, you're preparing yourself for a divorce because... Even if you get married um, and you're like, well, I'm not going to separate from them. You've already emotionally disconnected because you've practiced so often that if you're not making me happy, you don't belong um, in my life. You don't belong in my circle. Whereas we don't realize that when when the enemy wants to harm us, he places people in our life. And when God wants to develop us, he places people in our life. And a lot of time relationships are going to provoke you, uh, provoke you to good works is what the Bible tells us. You know, it's going to cause you to to notice things about yourself. God is going to place people, right. iron sharpens iron. That's not an easy process. It's probably going to hurt sometimes. It's probably going to be frustrating at times. But if we remove people from our life every time we're just not happy, then we don't realize that we're allowing ourselves to become God. Because it's just like, when did we get to the point where someone had to be perfect in order to approach us. Like, right. if God doesn't even do that to us, then who made you the person to say, you're not going to forgive the way God is willing to forgive you? Yeah. And if God has never cut me off, I don't believe it's right for me to get in a relationship and say, I'll cut you off if you don't make me happy today. Yeah. Like, that's emotions guiding you rather than the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Kind of in that same direction is this uh, expression that you had in the book about beautiful distractions. Right. You know, that uh, you need to be cautious of counterfeit Christians. Yes. Now, man, everybody goes, what is that, a counterfeit Christian? But yeah. describe it. Yeah, so I, I've been trying to do a great emphasis on separating what it means to simply go to church and loving God. And I think a lot of people attend services. They have not committed to Jesus in any point. You know, well, I'll give you Sunday. That's fine. But emotionally, I'm still going to do whatever I want the rest of the week. And I think a lot of times we get into relationships and it's like, God, send me a, a godly spouse. So you, now you're looking around for people who are serving, people who are doing all these things. And then, well, God, you're taking too long. So I'm just going to find somebody who's in the building, you know, and it's like, well, you don't realize that you haven't seen any fruit. And if you're not seeing godly fruit, then you're just dating someone because they have the church mask on, the church yeah. persona. Whereas a lot of people, they attend church and we think everyone in church believes the same thing as us, you know, and, and truth be told, a lot of people go to church because it's a hobby for them. Oh, my parents did it, you know, so I'll go, you know, whereas you're not necessarily, and I'm not saying this from the, t the perspective that we need to examine that person's life. Well, I don't think Jim has been praying this week, so I don't think he's really that safe. No, no, no. Maybe he's been busy and overwhelmed and we need to talk to him, you know, <laughs> and see if everything is okay. But I think it's times where we don't realize that a person is not where they are spiritually and their bio just says it on social media. Mm -hmm. Because you can you can say you love God all you want, but if, if my actions are never going to line up, if the way I carry myself and present myself, the way I treat people is never going to line up. Jesus said, you know who are my disciples by how they love others. Not by how many services they attend, not by, you know, what their social media tells them. Like, how do you treat people? And that's really going to determine, is this person producing fruit? You know, so when we want to know if we're going to uh, date someone, don't just date them because they're in church. 
because you want to make sure that your children, <laughs> if you're going to be discipling them, the person you marry needs to be on the same page. Yeah, so true. I remember Jean told me a story, you know, about her dating time. And she was telling me this guy from church had come up and said, God told me that we're supposed oh, to Lord. get married. You know that line, yeah, right? Yeah, we heard yes. that one. <laughs> Safi, you probably, <laughs> women probably get this a lot, especially yep. if you know, you're know you a beautiful woman. And it was so good because she said, I just said, well, when God tells me, I'll let you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which part. is a great soft way of saying, yeah. he's not talking to me the way he's talking to you about this situation. But... Let me, when I look at the data, you're starting to see, you know, 20-somethings are experiencing a lot of anxiety and some depression, Mm -hmm. suicidal ideation, all those things. But that increase in anxiety concerns me because as we talk about the importance of picking the right godly person, that can panic some people because they get wrapped up in, how do I know it's the perfect person? And I don't think, unless you hear an audible voice from the Lord, you're going to know. I mean, yeah. there are pieces. It's part of spiritual discernment. It's it's all this stuff that is not emphatic. You're not going to get a note from God saying, you know, Safa is the person you need to marry, Tavares. And, right. you know, you just don't get that. But speak to that idea of anxiety that there's one person out there. You've got to locate them, and they'll be the most godly uh, partner you could ever have, spouse you could ever have, that can create a lot of anxiety in some people. And that's not what you're saying. Right. I, I think we put, that's such an unrealistic expectation um, to put that on. I don't think God has like, I guess, a quote unquote soulmate for each of us. There's just this one perfect person that is just particularly for me and that I can't be with anybody else. Yeah, it's like a romantic idea, but it's not godly. Exactly. Yeah. I think yeah. we put God in a box. Just even, you know, assuming that that could be the case. And I think that's where we we mess up a lot because um, I think God can use anybody. You know, I genuinely believe that. And I think that we should allow just remove that whole mentality of there's this one specific person for me. And I think that we should just as a single person, focus on God, focus on serving other people and allow, you know, these relationships to blossom in our lives um, naturally. And then you'll connect with people that you've never noticed or never even thought because that's how Tavares and I ended up together. Hold on, I mean, yeah. I can't <laughs> I can't necessarily say that, you know, Tavares checked off every single thing on this list of, OK, this is my perfect person that I that God wants me for. But we were friends for years. We were friends for years. And and it just somehow happened that, you know, I started seeing things in him and God was revealing to me that maybe it's, this is a person that um, you can grow with, that you can serve me with. Yeah, so good. And, you know, he didn't check off every little box off of my little list, because I think if had I stuck to that, I would have never ended up married. And you know, yeah, I was going to say one thing that Gene and I always felt is that we were at a similar place in our relationships with the Lord, mm-hmm. and that did give us a certain confidence. Yeah. I mean, one of us wasn't out ahead, one of us wasn't behind. We would talk about that, okay. and I think we felt a lot of comfort spiritually that we saw the world very similarly mm-hmm. through the the lens of being Christian and wanting to live the word and even in our marriage as we grew we were very uh, compatible that way we grew in the same directions with the same discernment right. that's comforting yeah i'm sure you guys felt that absolutely. way too absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah so i believe that when it was um, around that time when i was thinking well 
I've known her for so many years. I'm attracted to her. I know her characteristics. You know, I'm like, this is the type of woman that I know I want to marry, you know? So I prayed about it, talked to people about it. But the biggest thing I was trying to focus on was, okay, when I'm looking at all the women that are out there, how do they help me spiritually? How do they help me with what I believe God has called me to? Because I've known since I was a child, God is going to use you to teach. God is going to use you to preach. And I cannot just date anyone, you know? Huh. So, so it made it harder to choose who I was going to be with because I'm just like, yeah, I mean, she looks nice in my arms, but what do you bring to the table other than, you know, beauty? So I'm just like, well, I see a beautiful woman that brings something more to the table, you know, than her beauty, you know? So that was something I started to pray about because I believe a lot of times we don't focus on where God is taking us. A lot of people look at where God has them currently mm-hmm. or where they are currently. I won't say God has them there because sometimes people are, you know, emotionally and mentally, you know, operating in dysfunctional habits. So they choose someone who, allows their dysfunction to feel normal Uh you know so it's a toxic you know environment they grew up in maybe so when you choose someone you know who repeats that cycle you don't view it as a problem you just view it as something that i'm accustomed to this is normal you know so when you when you feel as though god is calling you to do things for his kingdom when you do feel as though god is calling you closer to his presence you want to choose someone who's bringing you closer to his presence or when i'm stumbling you have someone that is able to tell you hey we're not doing that you know mm-hmm. and if you don't have that type of relationship then you may end up married but it won't be a godly relationship. And that's what we're really trying to strive for. Well, I hope people are feeling what we're talking about. Uh, It's exciting to me, even as a father of 20-somethings, that uh, someone in that generation, I would put you young, that you guys are helping young couples think about this, young singles think about these things, and to really equip them for something far bigger. When you just mentioned right there about what you were looking for to complement your spiritual gifts, Man, I didn't have the presence of mind to be talking to the Lord about that in my 20s, so that's really cool. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. I think the Lord just made up for my inadequacy oh, to provide Gene to me, but he, he go, okay, we got a D student here. Let's make sure we uh, <laughs> give him the homework. <laughs> but this is awesome, and you don't have to struggle. I mean, this is one of the most critical things for 20-somethings and 30-somethings to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't suffer in silence. Get a hold of this great book, mm-hmm. Godly Dating 101, Discover the Truth About Relationships in a World that Constantly Lies. And believe me, if you're a parent like John and I, you guys are parents too, but older parents of uh, people that are in that dating phase, uh, get a copy and gently talk about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of those taboo subjects for parents. So how's your dating life? I occasionally will ask that with the boys, but I tread carefully. <laughs> and in regards to that, you know, one thing I try to tell a lot of parents is that because they may be a little reluctant, oh, do I get this in my kid? I don't try to tell parents to be overly involved in, (laughs) yeah, you know, but you want to tell them you have to teach your kids principles because truth be told, we can tell them what to do. But if they don't know the principle behind it, then they're just following what mom and dad said. So now if I teach my kid principles that are godly, that way they may never see me around them, but then they'll think twice before they go do something or go start a relationship. You know, so it's good to teach them to build. And for so many parents, they need a tool to get going. And this is a great tool. It is. Yeah. Contact us today. Uh, Donate as you can, either a monthly gift or a one-time gift. 
of any amount to support the work of Focus on the Family. Help us make broadcasts like this and podcasts like Boundless and uh, so much more to help you and your family. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. And uh, when you donate, ask for your copy of Godly Dating 101, Discover the Truth About Relationships in a World that Constantly Lies. We'll have all the details about how to get in touch, donate, and get the book at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And we really hope that uh, single adults who are watching and listening right now are going to dial into our Boundless uh, website and podcast because, Jim, that uh, has such a great track record. It's uh, 25 years now this month, and we are so grateful for Lisa Anderson and the team for reaching out to 20, 30-somethings uh, to help them pursue faith and relationships in a godly way. Uh, donate today and help us make Boundless possible. Uh, your gifts uh, enable us to have that team to create the content to reach out to people uh, in this age demographic and uh, to help strengthen them for a godly life uh, throughout their adulthood. Tavares and Safa, thank you so much for being with us. This was a great discussion. Thank you, oh, for, thank having you for having us. us. It was mm-hmm. a pleasure. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.